Well, right now I'm just um, like I'm fearful of it spreading because I've been off treatment and I'm not sure when a surgery will happen. Um, So, you know, unfortunately, when it comes to cancer, time is not in our favor. So I'm, you know, I'm worried about that. All righty. So some good news to share with you about Cassandra DiMaria. And she let me know on Sunday that she's now scheduled for a life-saving cancer surgery in the next two weeks. So that is great news. And she would be one of the lucky ones. But there are literally thousands of Canadians who are sidelined from getting urgent healthcare because hospitals have canceled elective surgeries. And a lot of people think, okay, well, these are super, you know, official procedures, like maybe a breast implant or a facelift. They are not. We are talking about people who need these surgeries or they could die. And the reason they're being sidelined is because hospitals are at a breaking point, but they've always been at a breaking point. We're just having to face this now because of this pandemic. And new polling by Maru Public Opinion reveals 42% of us believe our local hospitals are so overwhelmed that we no longer trust them to take care of us if we need urgent medical care. But a third of Canadians are reporting that, yeah, they've got someone just like Cassandra in their inner circle who have no way of getting any urgent care because it's been postponed. You know, we're a province of 15 million people, and it took 3,600 people to Push us over the edge. Francesca Grosso is a principal at Grosso McCarthy. This is a healthcare strategy firm that develops things like government policy, also an author of the book Navigating Canadian Healthcare. She joins us now. Good to have you, Francesca. Great to be here. We're now at the point in this country where people have to go to the media to beg and, you know, try to force the hand of those in charge to get, um, you know, healthcare that we have no choice to pay for. And we pay for it, assuming it will be there. And it's just not. Yes, I mean, obviously, the pandemic has played a big role in a lot of this to a point. But I think as you as you discussed, we've we've had capacity issues for a long time. There are certainly a lot of surgeries for which the wait times are off the charts. I'm going to go back to what I said many, many times. We need to start to build out of hospital capacity. The notion that hospitals can do everything from very serious operations to surgeries that could be done and are being done elsewhere in other countries that are also, by the way, publicly funded. Canada is one of the few. In fact, I think we are the only industrialized nation where we do not take advantage of out of hospital capacity, Mm -hmm. created a pressure that was then exacerbated by the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, and when I talk about this, I want to be very clear, this is not an attack on the frontline uh, workers. They have been magnificent. They have, I mean, because of these failures, they are being burned out. And um, we're asking them to do what what they really can't keep up with. But there's no question, I think, Francesca, we are now at a point where you can no longer ignore uh, what is so obvious. And that is we have to have a conversation and take real action to figure out a system that is, you know, reliable. I mean, we, we spend enough money on it. People keep saying, well, we need to spend more. It's not that we need to spend more. We need to spend it right. Exactly. I think that's that's a very important point, Alex. We, we do spend a lot and we do know that the hospital is the most expensive uh, setting for care. 
And we actually already in Ontario offer services through other clinics, et cetera, that are many of which are doing um, surgeries that are not insured, but some, very few, are actually also doing insured services. And these services would be able to get rid of backlogs. They would be efficient. But, you know, that conversation is always becomes very ideologically charged and it doesn't serve the patient well, because, you know, for example, the, the, the patient that I'm so happy to hear was able through the media's help to finally get that surgery, um, you know, reinstated, uh, you know, why are they waiting so long? They're waiting so long because there is no place to do these things in a pandemic. And I would like to raise that this government also made a directive to shut down mm -hmm. lack of surgery. I don't understand why the government did that. And I am yet to, to have an answer that really I can say I can understand and that makes sense. And just to say hospitals have always been able to turn down surgeries if they didn't have the capacity. So they did not need a directive from government to do this. In the meantime, it's shut down all different other settings that could be actually taking some of the pressure off the hospitals. So it, it doesn't make sense to me. It seems like an overreach by government and I, I don't understand it. And I'm hopeful that they will lift this directive very soon. Well, yeah. And, and what you're talking about is some of the elective surgeries in private clinics where things like cataract surgeries or maybe hip and knee replacements, some of those areas were shut down. And I think the, I think the public was led to believe that this staff would then move into the hospitals and that would ease congestion and, 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 you know, make everything right. But what it, what seems to have happened is that it looks like they've taken action, but none of these people are now implemented into the front lines. I, I have to think there are some union issues, but you just can't take staff from one place and throw them in another, um, you know, without a, without a thought out plan. And so, you know, to the question you've kind of been raising is what has been accomplished other than well, that, sideline doctors and nurses. Yeah, that, that is the key. I mean, to say, you know, I'm really hoping the government will go to its senior officials and ask the hard question, give us some really hard evidence that shutting elective surgery down everywhere, not just mm -hmm. in hospitals, but also cataract, hernia, shul dice, everything. You give me some hard evidence that this is accomplishing anything helpful other than harming people and putting their surgeries off. I don't think there is a lot of evidence that it has actually accomplished anything. No. And well, no, other than uh, further, you know, making wait lists and wait lines and, uh, and, and hurting people who need the care now. But, you know, we're heading into an election in June. Healthcare should be the number one issue. And who's going to solve it? I will vote for the person who puts a plan forward that actually makes sense. Yet, I think we all know uh, to talk about this issue, we've got polit politicians who are more worried about pandering to the different special interest groups and unions than actually fixing this. But it, it does take real leadership to get this well, conversation started. Healthcare has always taken a lot of leadership and a lot of guts. I'll tell you that. And I'll just, I'll say one thing, you know, we talk about unions and yes, unions have its, you know, their own agenda, but there's a lot of issues also with healthcare leadership that has just yeah. got terrible case of status quoitis. They're very happy with the way, you know, things have worked and the formula 
you know, of pouring more money in and more beds and more beds and more money. And ultimately, that is not what's going to fix the system. That is really not. It's about building capacity in other areas that we can take pressure off hospitals and serve people closer to home. Right. Uh, and, and to your point, I mean, these hospital administrators who make upwards of half a million, if not more, they make a lot of money. And that is so that they can be the bright minds that we attract to deal with big health systems. But they're not clearly running these places right, or we would not be shutting down as often as we are. My concern, and I think a lot of people should be thinking is, are we just going to keep shutting down every time the hospitals get strained now? Because we've set a pretty dangerous precedent. Yeah, well, that is exactly what we don't want to be doing, because that is only you're kicking the problem down the road and it's like a snowball. It gets bigger and bigger. Right. So what we have now are tremendous backlogs. If you take cataracts, I mean, people can't even get in to see an ophthalmologist right now because nobody wants to see a patient that they know they have no OR time to operate. We're talking three years. These are people who are going blind. I mean, we are creating our own problem. And, uh, and so, yeah, to your point, absolutely. There has to be, you know, bold change requires a, a different a different way of looking at things. And it's not always going to be met with tremendous uh, uh, happiness by all the very mm-hmm. many voices that are out there. But you, you've got to have a lot of political guts to do uh, change that's going to work for people. Yeah. Nonetheless, it can be done. It's just a matter of who will take charge of this. Francesca, we will have many, many more conversations on this because clearly it deserves the conversation. Very much appreciate your time. Thank you. Take care. And that's Francesca Grasso, principal over at Grasso McCarthy. And she's had a lot of great ideas, including more home care and keeping people out of the systems. But we can do it. You got to have political will uh, to do it. And it can be done. Nonetheless, we will talk about it. All right. We got lots to go through in our counterpoint, which we'll get into round one in just a second. Thanks to our friends over at Pizzaville. Stay with us as we work through the day's headlines. I'm Alex Pearson. You are listening here to One Point.